السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so before we begin or continue rather with the tafsir of Surah Al-Humaza I have a couple of announcements to make the first of them is one of the things that you'll find on the portal, I don't know how many of you guys here in the masjid actually use the portal for anyway. I hope you all do at some point. But especially for those of you online and even for you guys here, something that we uh, that we did recently, and I think it's up now, is, uh, no, is the biographies. Um, I hope that it's up. Is it? Um, so what I did is, you know, because one of the things that often happens as we're going through the series where obviously mentioning names of many of the famous old scholars of tafsir. Um, and so what we do is, we're always mentioning, you know, like for example, names like the famous ones like Al-Tabari and Ibn Kathir and Al-Qurtubi. And then we have others that are not as famous, but still like, you know, from the scholars of tafsir. Whether they're mentioned in the books or whether they're mentioned in other than that. So one of the things that I did is I prepared a document of brief biographies of the famous scholars of tafsir and, and not just tafsir but of Quranic sciences in general. It was not comprehensive because obviously scholars of the past when they wrote about the biographies of the scholars of Quran, it used to go into volumes, right? And you know, I wasn't trying to translate anyone's, anyone's work on this, uh, on this topic. But what I wanted to do is give an insight into the most famous and the most frequently mentioned names that we're going to be, um, that, that we, we do mention and that we're constantly coming across. Um, so one of the things that I did is I prepared this document and I sent it to the guys and I, I hope it's up. It's not up yet? Okay. So, but that's something which will ch chase up inshallah. But hopefully by next week it will be available on the, on the portal. And the idea of that is so that when I then say, for example, Al-Imam al-Sha'bi said or Hassan al-Basri said or Sufyan al-Thawri said, rather than always kind of having to give like a footnote and speak about who he was and when he lived and what his role was and so on, you guys can just, you know, either in your own time or whenever, you can revert back to that and refer to it. And so it kind of becomes like a reference point. And inshallah, over time, you know, if we need to update the document, we'll update it, we'll add names and so on. So that was kind of done to, to make things, streamline things a bit and make things a bit more easy. Um, and they're the, they're, the, they're the most common names that we'll, we'll hear in QP. It's the names of the most common or the most famous scholars of tafsir that we'll commonly refer to in, in Quranic progression. There will be names there that you're very familiar with, other names that you're not very familiar with. Some of them are famous scholars of tafsir, and where it's uh, scholars of tafsir that are famous books and works, I've mentioned their famous con contribution to the, the science of tafsir. And then there are other scholars who delved more into Quranic sciences, into qira'at, for example, into some of the other, other sciences that, that are connected to the Quran. But I mention them as well because we have mentioned those names in passing. And so it's a good reference document to be able to go back and see, oh, okay, that's who that person was and that's what he did and so on. It is not comprehensive, so there will be names, like some of the names, for example, that we will mention this week, aren't in that document. But that's because they have a few statements here and a few statements there. But the ones that are very commonly referred to in the books of Tafsir and the ones that we commonly refer to in our classes, inshallah, you will find them in that document. So hopefully... Um, I was told that it would be up by this week, but clearly it's not. So inshallah, I will, I will chase that up and hopefully inshallah, it will be up by next week. The second thing which is um, also important, and uh, I, this is where I kind of need your help, 
is one of the things that we're trying to do with the QP portal and for the Quranic progression students is to have transcribed notes. So each lesson, in Alhamdulillah, we already have the video, we have an audio podcast, we have, we have like notes that we've done, but they're more like student notes. One of the things that we want to do and that we're very keen on doing is transcribe, fully transcribed notes. And the idea is that those transcribed notes, inshallah ta'ala, will be referenced fully. They will be, they become like a malaja, a reference point for not only us as students of QP, for, but for others, other people as well, inshallah ta'ala, who want to benefit from tafsir. There's a written version of these lessons as well. And so, um, alhamdulillah, there's like a sister that's actually doing this and she's working very hard, mashallah, and she's putting a lot of time and effort, as you can imagine, you know, transcribing one hour of a talk. I don't know how long it takes, but it must take a good while, right, to transcribe that amount of information. She's doing a great job, but she's currently by herself. And what we want, and this is just to you guys here, you know, to the online community as well. In fact, it's probably easier for some people who are listening online to do this, um, because maybe they're making notes anyway in that way at home, or they're listening to this recording after the lesson, and they're pausing and they're stopping and they're making notes. We need your help, inshallah ta'ala, in terms of Having a team together, three, four, five people that, that they can like kind of help each other and, and support one another and be part of that transcribing team. And the idea is that inshallah ta'ala then we have, we have a few from last year, like we have a good number from last year, but it's not comprehensive. So inshallah I hope that we can finish those notes. But going forwards anyway, the uh, classes that we do, the lessons that we have to transcribe fully those notes and inshallah ta'ala in the future, Maybe that can become like a standalone book uh, or, or a work that can be published and so on online. Make it made into an e-book, for example. And it is an amazing uh, opportunity for Sadaqa Jariya. Right? And for an amazing opportunity for reward. And you can imagine, subhanAllah, you know, like we benefit from books that were written centuries ago right? and decades ago. Names of scholars that we mentioned over and over again. There is nothing in the English language that is a comprehensive tafsir that has been authored in the English language. We have translations and we have other things and so on. But we don't really have anything that's been done in a complete way in the English language. And inshallah, I hope that this will be something towards achieving that. That other people will benefit from, not only here, but inshallah, across the world. So if you're interested in that, uh, then please email the... Uh, what are we emailing? <laughs> Who are we emailing? We're emailing prophetic guidance. I'll get you the, the email or, or maybe um, just put it up in the, in the chat. Is it on the portal? Okay, so if you go to the portal and you go to the notice board, yeah, there's actually a post up there um, entitled, We Need You. <laughs> and, and there's a form. Um, and, and basically what we're looking for is a transcriber, uh, someone to transcribe, and that's approximately 15 minutes a week. Someone to review that goes over the transcribed notes, and that's like half an hour a week and then someone to, to research the references. So for example, when it's verses of the Quran, if I haven't mentioned them in the class, you know, you go back to the Quran and you kind of do a quick search, same with hadith, and, and try to make it extensive as, and as academic as possible, so that inshallah ta'ala it is a, a, a finished piece of work and a finished document. That's the second announcement, and uh, finally I was asked to make an announcement. Uh, I, I'm teaching inshallah ta'ala next week in London, I have my Al-Maghrib course, Lost in translation. So inshallah, that's next week in London, which is the what is it, 29th, 30th, and 1st of December. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
Lost in translation, as I mentioned, I, I taught this class here a couple of months ago, or a few months ago in Birmingham, and it's a class that focuses on contemplation of the Quran. So it is using the knowledge that we have of tafsir and the translations of the meanings of the Quran and taking the knowledge that we have and taking it a step further in terms of contemplation. Contemplation is when you reflect deeply over the meanings of the Quran. And so you stop and you think about the knowledge that you've gained in tafsir, in translation, the knowledge that you've applied from the, the sunnah and from the hadith that relate to that verse and so on, that general knowledge that you have, and then to think and ponder over that and what it means and how to relate that personally to yourself. That is contemplation, and that's what Allah Azza wa Jal asks us to do or commands us to do in the Quran when He says, Afala Will they not contemplate the Qur'an or are their hearts locked and sealed? And that's because it was something which was common in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, in the time of the Tabi'een, the companions and so on, that they would spend time not only studying the Qur'an and memorizing the Qur'an and reading the Qur'an, but they would spend time contemplating the Qur'an. And what's happened over time, and perhaps it's because, you know, like we don't, we don't have a good grasp of the Arabic language or we just become distant or whatever, we have an, an issue contemplating the Qur'an. And so this course really is there to help. It's not a tafsir course, it's not a tafsir class. It is specifically designed to help with this aspect of contemplation and tips and principles that we can use as non-Arabic speakers, as people who don't speak Arabic, but have access to English resources, translations, tafsir, lectures on YouTube, classes like this. We have those resources at our disposal. How do we use them and bring them to further our relationship with the Quran and strengthen it in terms of contemplation. So that's inshallah next weekend, um, inshallah ta'ala. Okay. Uh, okay. So let's carry on. So last week we were on verses number four, five, and six of Surah Al-Humazah, and in which Allah Azza wa Jal speaks about those people who are from the Humazah and the Lumazah, those people who degrade and backbite and slander others whether they do it apparently or secretly, whether they do it by verbal, used by verbally or by action, however they do that, they degrade and demean people. And there are those people who have dedicated and, and they've made their central goal in life, the accumulation of wealth and the counting of it, thinking that it will be a source of their longevity or their eternity. And Allah Azza wa Jal, last week as we mentioned, disabuses them of that notion. And rather he says, that instead they will be thrown into the pit of the fire that will crush them, al-hutama. وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْحُطَمَ And what will let you know what it is? It is نَارُ اللَّهِ الْمُقَدَ It is the fire of Allah that He has kindled. And it is set ablaze. What I want to do before we carry on is um, in, these two, in these two last verses, five and six, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to us two names of Jahannam. Two names of hellfire. The first of them is Al-Hutamah, Al-Hutamah, and the second is Naar. And what I wanted to just as like a side point is go through some of the most common names that Jahannam or hellfire is referred to and referred by in the Quran. And that's because as we've said a number of times from the principles of the Quran is that when a concept is deemed important and significant, one of the ways that that is shown in the Quranic context is through repetition number one. And number two, by giving that same concept multiple names that refer to it. And so that's something which Allah Azza wa Jal often does in the Quran. He does it with the Quran itself, 
obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has many names and attributes. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam has many names that he is known by. Yawm al-Qiyamah is mentioned by many names in the Quran. And Haufa and Paradise are also given multiple names in the Quran. So I want you to run through some of them uh, in this lesson before we, we continue. The first of them is, as we said, Al-Hutama, right? and that's mentioned only in Surah Al-Humaza, twice in the Quran. Right, twice in the Quran. And uh, Al-Hutama, as we said, is something which crushes into you, right? It crushes you as it destroys you and punishes you. And the second name that is also very common in the Quran is Nar, right? The one that's mentioned here in Surah Al-Humaza. In fact, it's mentioned many, many times in the Quran. It is one of the most common names that Allah Azza wa gives to Hawfai in the Quran. It is known by Nar. And Nar <coughs> refers to the fire, but it also has the same root word as Nur. And Nur is light, right? And that's because of the fierceness of the flame of Jahannam that it will illuminate, right? That it will, it is bright. One of the other names that Allah Azza wa refers to Hawfai by is Al-Hawiyah. Al-Hawiyah. And this is in Surah Al-Qari'ah when Allah Azza wa says, وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَفَّتْ مَوَازِينُهُ فَأُمُّهُ هَاوِيَةٌ And it's only mentioned this once in the Quran, right? And we'll speak about this inshallah in more detail when we come on to Surah Al-Qari'ah which is only a couple of surahs away. Another name, are we on number four, is Lada, the name Lada, which is mentioned only once in the Quran in Surah Al-Ma'arij. Verse number 15, Allah Azza wa says, Kalla innaha Lada, Kalla innaha Lada. Another name that is given to how find the Quran is the name Jahim, Jahim. And this is mentioned some 20 odd times in the Quran. For example, in Surah Al-Nazi'at, when Allah Azza wa says, فَأَمَّا مَنْ طَغَى وَآثَرَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا فَإِنَّ الْجَحِيمَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَى right? And likewise in Surah Al-Takweer, وَإِذَا الْجَحِيمُ سُعِّرَتْ And likewise in Surah Al-Mutaffifin, ثُمَّ إِنَّهُمْ لَصَالُ الْجَحِيمُ right? And Jahim is mentioned a number of times in the Quran, as we said, some 20 odd times in the Quran. Number... Number six, Jahannam. Right? And Jahannam is one of the most common names in the Quran. It is mentioned some 70 times in the Quran. 70 times in the Quran, Allah Azza wa Jal uses this name. For example, in Surah Al-Naba, Inna Jahannama kanat min sada. And likewise in Surah Al-Buruj, Inna al-ladheena fatanu al-mu'minina wal-mu'minati thumma lam yatubu falahum a'thabu Jahannam. Walahum a'thabu al-hariq. And likewise in Surah Al-Bayyinah, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ فِي نَارِ جَهَنَّمَ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا And the two names, Nar and Jahannam, are a number of times mentioned together in the Qur'an. Both of them are mentioned together in the Qur'an. Another name of, the, of, of how that Allah Azza wa Jalla uses in the Qur'an is Saqar, which is mentioned four times in the Qur'an, Saqar. Most famously in, in Surah Al-Muddathir, where Allah Azza wa Jal says, سَأُصْلِيهِ سَقَرْ وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا سَقَرْ Another name that is given for Jahannam is As-Sa'ir. As-Sa'ir. And this is mentioned 
also a number of times in the Quran. For example, in Surah Al-Inshiqaq, وَأَمَّا مَنْ أُوْتِيَ كِتَابَهُ وَرَاءَ ظَهْرِهِ فَسَوْفَ يَدْعُوْ ثُبُورًا وَيَصْلَى سَعِيرًا right? سعير. And Allah Azza wa Jalla says in Surah Al-Mulk, فَاعْتَرَفُوا بِذَنْبِهِمْ فَسُحْقَلْ لِأَصْحَابِ السَّعِيرِ right? And Allah Azza wa Jalla calls it Sa'ir. Another name, and these are like from the most common names, another common name in the Quran is Sijin. Sijin. And this is mentioned twice in the Quran in Surah Al-Mutaffifin. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, كَلَّا إِنَّ كِتَابَ الْفُجَّارِ لَفِي سِجِّينَ وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا سِجِّينَ كِتَابُ مَرْقُومٍ and so on. So these are like some of the most um, common names that Allah Azza wa Jalla uses for the Hawfi in the Quran. And uh, I mention those because it's something which we'll, 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 we'll refer to as we come to like other verses of the Quran that speak, speak about Jahannam and Hawfi and how those different descriptions and names of the Hawfi differ slightly from one another in terms of meaning and what they add to the meaning. Because when Allah gives them different names, they also refer to or imply an added meaning in which there is an attribute, a further attribute of the Quran, uh, or, sorry, of that, of that concept, which in this case would be the Hawfi. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, last week where we finished, Allah said, Speaking about this fire, which he calls Al-Hutama, in its explanation, Allah says, it is the fire of Allah Al-Muqada that has been kindled and set ablaze. We said last week that Allah refers to it as his fire to show that it is perfect in creation. Because Allah the only thing that is attributed to him is something which is honorable or something which is honored because of its perfection in some way, shape or form. And so Allah refers to the Prophet ﷺ as his messenger, right? Muhammad Rasulullah, right? as Allah says in the Quran. He's attributed to Allah because he is his messenger, being chosen by him. And he is perfect in the sense that his revelation that is given in his, in his uh, performance as a messenger, in his carrying out of his responsibility as a prophet, a messenger of Allah, Allah has made him perfect in that way, meaning that he has been safeguarded from sin and from mistakes. Allah has perfected him in that way. Right? Likewise, Jannah is ascribed to Allah because it is perfect in its reward, in its bliss, in its blessings. So all of these names that are attributed to Allah it is because Allah chooses to honor those people or to honor those things. And it is to show their importance and it is to show that there is some measure of perfection or completeness about those things because Allah has referred them to himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. Likewise, how fire is Narullah, it is the fire of Allah, perfect in its or complete in its destruction, complete in its punishment, complete in its terror that it will cast upon those people that become its inhabitants. Allah describes its completeness in the next verse in Surah, in, in verse number seven, and Allah says, Allati tattali'u ala al-afida. Can we pull up? Um, Quran.com or oh, is it up now? Okay, so alhamdulillah they've just uploaded the, the biographies. So it's online now anyway. Allah Azza wa Jal says therefore in verse number seven, Allati Tatali'u Alal Afida which leaps up over the hearts, right? Muhsin Khan, Abdul Halim, which rises over people's hearts. Mufti Taqi Uthmani that will peep into the hearts. Yusuf Ali, the witch doth mount to the hearts. 
Sahih International, which man's directed at the hearts. Meaning that it will consume the hearts. The question here is, why does Allah mention the hearts? Normally when you think of, you know, if you say someone, for example, was burned alive, right? someone died through burning, through fire, and we think about the concept of being burned, we think about the body, we think about the skin, we think about the outer limbs. Right? That's, what, that's the kind of image that, that, that it conjures up. You think about the charred skin, you think about the... That's what you think of, right? When someone has died through burning. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't mention those aspects here. doesn't mention the skin here. doesn't mention the eyes or the nose or the mouth or the physical features of the body or the limbs, the hands or the feet. Allah azza wa doesn't. He says, It is the one that consumes the heart. Why does Allah azza wa say this? Why refer to the hearts? So number one, that's very good. Number one, because of their beliefs. The reason why they entered into the fire was because of their incorrect beliefs, right? Their deviant ideologies, the shirk that they perpetrated, that they believed in their hearts. And so Allah refers to them as being destroyed or the fire consuming their hearts, meaning that it will consume those corrupt ideologies that they had, those corrupt beliefs that they had of worshipping others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's one reason. Number two. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So it's similar to 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 that, right? Because the heart is where those that evil lies, right? So it consumes the heart. Be it shirk or be it other than shirk. Yeah. What's another reason? To show the completeness of destruction, that the fire will reach the very depths of the body and it will consume it. Right? And we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, He tells us, right, like joining up the verses and the hadith of the Qur'an and the sunnah, that Allah azza has told us that the people won't be destroyed in the fire, in the sense that they don't disintegrate, they don't dissipate, they remain therein. And every time their skin is, is taken off, it is replaced. Every time their skin melts from their bodies, we will replace it with new skin so that they may continue to taste the punishment. So their bodies regenerate themselves, and we know that even from, from the hadith of the Prophet whether from the punishment of the grave or the punishment of the fire, when people are destroyed or punished in a certain way, in a certain manner, that part of the body with which they are punished regenerates itself, so that their torment and their punishment may repeat itself forever and ever. And so Allah Azza wa therefore tells us that it's still complete in its punishment. Because some, you know, you may, or some people may think therefore that if the hand regenerates and this, that the fire doesn't consume within, only stays on the outside, right? Only on the outer part, doesn't consume within because it regenerates itself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, no. It will reach into the depths of the hearts and it will consume it. And so they will feel that t- torment and that pain and that punishment, not only out- outwardly, but inwardly as well, into the very recesses of their heart. And as Uway um, said, from the opinions of the scholars of Tafsir, is that it's because of the place where their evil, corrupt ideologies were. Thabit al-Bunani, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was one of the scholars of the Tabi'een, born in the Khilafah of Muawiyah radiallahu anhu, and he was from the students of Abdullah ibn Umar and so on. And it's a hadith I mentioned in Bukhari and Muslim and so on. Thabit al-Bunani said, the fire will burn them 
whilst they are living. And then he would cry because he would say that they will continue to taste this punishment. The fire will burn their hearts whilst they are alive. Right? And that's also an added meaning. And that is that normally when, when we think about the heart being destroyed, what happens very quickly afterwards or at the same time? You die. Right? If the heart is affected and attacked, you die. So if a person's heart stops, right, it's attacked, it's, it's, it's diseased, it, it falls foul of some kind of whatever, it dies, right? That's where death comes then. It's finished, it's over. But here he's saying, Thabt al-Munani, that it's happening whilst they're alive. So it doesn't for them signal and signify their death. But rather it is only a step from the steps of punishment that they will taste. And so when it consumes the heart, the body continues. And the heart continues to beat. And it continues to feel that pain and that punishment. And the fire continues to attack and burn that heart. Muhammad ibn Ka'ab, rahimahullah, said, it means that it will consume every part of their body. right? Meaning that it's, as we said, complete in its punishment. If it consumes the heart, then min bab awla, it is therefore more likely, more probable, it is the case therefore, that everything outside and beyond the heart is also consumed. If the heart is at the center of the body, then surely everything before it, before it reaches the heart, is also consumed. So Muhammad ibn Ka'ab said, it will consume everything in the body until it will reach the very depths of their body, and that is the heart. Muhammad ibn al-Munkadir, rahimahullah ta'ala, also from the students of the Tabi'een, studied in the likes of Aisha and Abu Huraira, a number of the companions, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, the fire will consume them and it will consume their hearts whilst they are alive, and they continue to see this. Al-Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullah, and Ibn Atiyah, both of them in their tafsir, mentioned the other point, that the meaning of is also that it's because it is the place where these evil ideologies resided. It's where they used to believe in, in, their, in their false beliefs, where they used to have their, you know, their, their ideologies and their beliefs of worshipping others, besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so the fire will consume them, and it will consume their beliefs that they had as well. And Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, said the same thing, because the heart is where a person's intention resides, and it's the place where a person's beliefs and the ideologies reside as well. And so Allah Azza wa says that their punishment will be complete, not only will it devour them and devour their hearts, it will devour their ideologies and their corruption that they had as well. So Allah Azza wa describes therefore this punishment as being complete, right? Complete in every way. And this, this verse in the Quran, generally the verses of the Quran speak about the outward punishment, right? The drink, the food, the clothing of the people, the fire, what they will be made to wear. That's like very much external. But this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through it mentions the internal punishment that they will face as well that it will devour them and devour everything within them. And so Allah Azza wa says, أَلَّتِي تَطَّلِعُ عَلَى الْأَفْئِدَةِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says in verse number 7, do we have any questions? I, I saw a couple of questions. You done that one? Okay. Question for the Shaykh, is there any issue with using different types of qiraat in prayer? 
For example, Sufyan al-Thawri would read ayah 4 of Surah Humans slightly differently and reciting the rest in a different qira'ah. Yeah, so there's two different issues here. Firstly, is it allowed to read multiple qira'ah in a single raka'ah of prayer or in a single recitation? So for example, you know, if you're reading uh, Surah Fatiha, you start with Hafs and then you move on to Warsh and then you move on to Khalaf and, and you're just kind of mixing and matching between the different qira'at. That's one issue. And the second issue then, which he gives as an example, but it's a slightly different issue because the example that he gives is the recitation of Sufyan al-Thawri for verse number four. But the recitation of Sufyan al-Thawri in verse number four is a shad qira'ah. It's reported from him, but it is something which was peculiar to him. And so it's not from the qira'at al-mutawatira, from the ones that have been <coughs> well established and well accepted by the ummah. And therefore those qira'at that are shadha are not considered to be from the Qur'an. And so they're not read as the Qur'an and therefore they're not read in the prayer. But rather what they're considered and the reason why they're mentioned in the books of tafsir and why we mention them is because they become like tafsir. Because that is the understanding of the meaning of that verse by, for example, Ibn Mas'ud or Ali radiallahu an or Sufyan al-Thawri in this case or Al-Hassan al-Basri or any of those scholars. It is what they understood that verse to be and it became therefore the tafsir of it. And it's the way that they would read it. And there is a whole different discussion as to why they would read it in that particular way and so on. That's a completely different discussion. The question or the main question therefore is can you read in multiple qiraat? Now if you were to go to the vast majority, in my, from my knowledge anyway, the vast majority of qurra, who are the scholars of recitation and qiraat and you know, the, the, the concept of, of or the, the science of reading the Qur'an and so on, they would say no. You don't mix and match. And you don't jump ship. You don't start from one qira'ah and jump into the second one and so on. In salah. Or if you're doing like, they do it. Like for example, if it's for teaching, it's fine. If it's for learning, it's fine. If it's for example, you know, reciting in front of, as Abdul Basit and these guys often would do, right? They switch qira'at as they're reading like, you know, in front of a congregation or in an audience and so on. They would say that's fine. But as for reading, for example, in salah, in Fajr, in Maghrib, in Isha, as the Imam, reading like that, they would say no, that you don't do that, right? And it's not something which is, which is done. However, there, there are other scholars who say that it is allowed. Like Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, was asked this question, if memory serves correct, and he said, it is allowed, kulluhu Qur'an, because all of it is Qur'an. And Allah Azza wa Jal commanded us to read the Qur'an in the, in the, in the Qur'an, in the prayer, to read the Qur'an. And the Prophet commanded us to, to read the Qur'an and didn't specify so as long as it is Qur'an, you have fulfilled that obligation, right? So that's like also an opinion. So one says, no, stay away from it. The other says, it's fine, it's okay. I personally, and Allah Azza wa knows best, think that from a fiqhi point, it is fine. From a fiqhi point of view, it is fine. However, it's one of those things that shouldn't be done and should be avoided because it confuses people and because it leads to you know, like for example, in, in some countries, like I don't know if the laws change, but in Saudi Arabia for a, for a good period of time, they wouldn't let anyone read except in Hafs. And I think it's probably still the case. You don't get many Imams, even if they are scholars of Qira'at, which some of them are, and they know the Qira'at and so on. Like Hudayfi, right, the Imam of the Haram in Medina, he's, a, he's one of the, the senior sheikhs of Qira'at in Saudi Arabia. Right? He's someone well known for this. But he doesn't read in anything except the normal recitation in his Salah. Why? Because it confuses people. Not only does it confuse people, but it confuses a person behind who may, for example, wish to correct the Imam. Right? Because not only is it a change 
between qiraat in tajweed rules, it is sometimes a changing in wording as well. Right? And we will mention an example of this, inshallah, in the last verse of Surah Al-Humaza. Right? Two different, both of them are mutawatir. Right? So now which one is he reading? Right? What's he doing? Where is he? And, and so it becomes confusing. So Allah Azza wa knows best, but I think that from a fiqhi point of view, it is true what Imam Ahmad and Ibn Taymiyyah and others said, that it is Qur'an. And if someone was to read it, why, what does that mean from a fiqhi point of view? That if someone was to come and do that in the salah, would their salah be acceptable or not? Right? That's what it means. But if, from a fiqhi point of view, what does fiqh look at? Rulings. Is it halal? Is it haram? Is it jaiz? Is it wajib? This is what we're looking at. Someone was to come as an imam and do that in the salah, the salah is correct. Right? And no one's going to say, well, I don't think anyone would say that the salah needs repeating or that. Fatiha was, it is correct if you follow that opinion. However, even so, it is something which should be avoided and something which shouldn't be done because of the confusion that it causes and because it is not, you know, I don't know if best practice is, is the wording to use, but it's not best practice right, to recite the Quran in that way and it leads to confusion. And it leads to a lack of, of, of uh, you know, because then you can stretch it further and say, I will use the rulings of hafs, like the, the tajweed rulings, but I will use the wording of warsh, or vice versa. And then it just, the whole thing becomes jumbled up. Because when they recite, recite those imams, recited the Quran in that way, they recited them with both, right, together in one. In one. And they didn't, they didn't jump from one qira'ah to another, right? They didn't jump from hafs to to, to watch in their recitation and therefore I think it is a a problem in doing this. Allah I don't know. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked at it, like say it's not been done or wasn't done or something, but I don't think it would have been common even if it was done, I don't think it was something which, because like you said, it would have been something which then would have become well-known uh, and Allah knows best. Is the question you're referring to leading salah or just, just doing it? He doesn't specify it only. He doesn't spe- I mean, if you're doing it yourself and it's just you and you're reciting a silent prayer, I suppose then it's less so of an issue in terms of the confusion and whatever, other than for yourself. <laughs> you confuse yourself maybe, but no one else. But I think even then, it is, it is probably best practice not to do it. What's that, sorry? Sa'udah. Uh, in Surah Mudathir, I think it is a description. Allah knows best. The description of the Hellfire. We have a question from Zia. When discussing Surah Al-Humaz a couple of weeks ago, you said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, wealth and children from the adornments and the trials of this life. And I've heard this or similar a few times, not just here. But don't understand the link between wealth and children. Why is it that wealth and children are often mentioned together? Um, wealth and children are mentioned together, as Allah says, because they are from the most uh, common adornments of, of, the, of, the, of this life. So wealth, because it's something which people covet, and children and family, because it's something which people covet. Right? People like the idea of, number one, having wealth, and number two, having a legacy behind them, leaving behind a dynasty leaving behind people to carry on their name. And it is a human, you know, it's, it's a human need. And that's why, you know, many people are inclined to have families. 
and they want children and they want people, they want, they want to have that family unit because it is a human need. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala links these two because they are the most common need. Does everyone want power? No, not really. Not everyone. Like lots of people actually don't want power. They don't like power. Does everyone want fame? Not necessarily. Not everyone wants fame. Does everyone want knowledge? Not necessarily. So those are things that aren't so you know, generalized. They're not something which is so wide. But wealth, the vast majority of people want wealth. Even if you're not a person who's attached to wealth, you understand that wealth has its place and its benefits and it can bring you a lot of ease. Right? And, you know, yes, there are people who don't want to get married and they don't want families, but I think the vast majority, overwhelmingly, there is that kind of need at a certain stage, even if it's just for a single child or just to have one person or just to adopt or to foster, to have that kind of family unit because it is something which is so commonly, like so, uh, you know, it is a major need that most people feel that they have. And so perhaps in Allah Azza wa best, that's the reason why those two are mentioned often in the Quran. And they're mentioned in multiple contexts. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Okay, so let us continue. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 8 then. So verse number 7 is that the fire will consume the, the, yeah, the person. The fire, the fire will consume the heart of the person. Allah Azza wa then says, إِنَّهَا عَلَيْهِمْ مُؤْصَدَ Verse number 8. Indeed, how fire will be closed down upon them. Abdul Halim, it closes in on them. Verily, it should be closed in on them. Right? It should be made into a vault over them. The opinion of the majority of the scholars of tafsir is that the word mu'sada, innaha alayhim, innaha, it is, what is it? The fire. Alayhim, over them, mu'sada. What is mu'sada? In the opinion of the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir, mu'sada means it is upon them closed. It will be closed upon them. Meaning what? Meaning that the fire will surround them from every direction. So it will encompass them, engulf them. 360 degrees every which way direction, the fire will be around them. So they won't be able to, for example, in the fire of hell, it's not the case that they will be in and the fire will surround them from all sides, meaning from front and back and, and right and left, but the, the, above them it will be clear air, or that they will have oxygen, or that they will, be, you know, they will be able to see the sky, or that they will be able to look up and find some relief or some wind. No. It will be closed upon them, sealed upon them. So they will have fire in front of them, behind them, to their right, to their left, beneath them and above them. The fire will be surrounding them. And that's what Allah mentions in the Quran in Surah Al-Kahf when Allah says, And say, the truth has come to you from your Lord. So whoever wishes to believe may do so, whoever wishes to disbelieve may do so. Indeed, we have prepared for the oppressors, the criminals, a fire that will surround them. It will encompass them. So there will be no escape for them. They will have no, you know, the, that fire doesn't burn itself out, doesn't weaken, doesn't have any air or anything, any kind of relief that is allowed to escape through it or bring some relief to the person that is within it. It will conceal them and seal them completely. And that's why Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, Abdullah ibn Abbas, Ikrima, Sa'id ibn Jubair, Mujahid, Muhammad ibn Ka'ab, Atiyah al-Awfi, al-Hassan, Qatada, al-Suddi, and many others besides them. They said that the word Mu'sada means 
that it is sealed upon them. Right? And these are from the companions and from the students and from the scholars of tafsir. That the fire, Mu'sada means mutbaqa, it will be concealed upon them. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma said, Mughallaqatul abwab, its gates will be sealed, meaning that there will be no escape. Mujahid rahimahullah ta'ala says, Asadda al-bab, or the word Mu'sada, the, the verb from it, in the dialect of Quraysh, means to seal and to close upon. Right? And so this was a word in the dialect of Quraysh, they would speak in this way. Al-Dahaq said the same thing, there will be no escape. And Qatada said, Mu'sada, it will be sealed upon them, so they will have no escape, and they will have no like gap. There is no gap in that fire in which they can find any type of relief. So he's saying, is there like a shift in order where Allah Azza mentions things in the other way? Because the brother is saying that the, the, the fire would be closed upon them first, sealed upon them first, and then it would reach their hearts and it would burn them and it would torture them or punish them in that way. It's possible Allah Azza knows because I don't know, I don't remember coming across whether the scholars believe that there was taqdeem. They call it taqdeem and ta'akhir. Sometimes in the Quran, Allah Azza shifts the order. So something which should be mentioned usually second is brought forward, but that's usually to show its importance when that's done. So even if that's the case, the reason why it's done is to signify importance. So here Allah Azza wa Jal, when he says, it is to show the complete nature of, of that punishment and the way that it will consume them. And because, and Allah knows best, but because this surah speaks about those grave sins that come from the heart of slandering and hatred and backbiting and so on, it is, it is a disease in the heart that brings that, that Allah Azza wa focuses on that type of punishment first and then he speaks about the other types of punishment. Because the rest of the surah then, verses 7, 8 and 9, speak about different forms of punishment. And the only, like, you know, like another example of that would be in the Quran where Allah Azza wa Jal says in Surah Alaq, Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Read in the name of your Lord who created. Even though the creation of, of, of mankind comes before the reading of the Quran, chronologically speaking, right? Allah created mankind first and then the Quran was revealed. But Allah Azza wa Jal switches the order to show that the Quran is more precedence, has more precedence, reading, seeking knowledge, learning is more important than aspects of creation and just the dunya and, and everything else. Right? And so you do usually get that taqdeem and taqdeem, oh, not usually, but you can have it in the Quran and it's usually because of, of, of a similar reason. And Allah knows best. And this is the opinion that Imam At-Tabari rahimahullah mentioned. So this opinion that we said, Abu Huraira ibn Abbas, Ikrimah, Sa'id ibn Jubair, Mujahid, Mujahid, Muhammad ibn Ka'ab, Atiyah, Al-Awfi, Hassan, Qatada, As-Suddi, Al-Dahak, all of them, right? They all said that this is the opinion of, or, or the meaning of Mu'sada means that it seals and closes in upon them. And Imam Muttabili, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, he only mentions this view. He only mentions this opinion as being the opinion or the, the interpretation of this word, Mu'sada.
Al Imam Al Qurtubi, however, he says that the word Mu'sada can also refer to something which is opaque or you can't see within it. So he says Mu'sada can mean something which is closed, but it can also mean Mubhama, La Yudrama Dakhiruha. It is something which is unknown what is within it. And I think the, the meanings are similar. Because when the fire is closed and it encloses upon itself, then anyone outside of it can't see what is within it. Because of the intensity of those flames and its heat, no one can see what, go, what, what goes inside of it or what the punishment that is taking place within it. He said that the word Mu'sad and Imam Qurtubi said, both of them are correct. We have uh, two different recitations of the word Mu'sada. Abu Amr al-Basri, Hafs, which is a recitation that we normally use, Hamza, Ya'qub and Khalaf, use it with the Hamza, Mu'sada. Whereas the others, like Nafi' and Ibn Kathir and Ibn Amir and others, they say Mu'sada, with a Waw instead of a Hamza. So not Mu'sada, but rather Mu'sada, Mu'sada. And both of them are correct. Right? Both of them are uh, two well-known pronunciations, and both of them are mutawatir in terms of its of its qira'ah. Ibn Kathir ta'ala said, this verse is something which comes in another surah. Which surah? This verse, verse number 18, we have something similar in another surah. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِآيَاتِنَا هُمْ أَصْحَابُ الْمَشْأَمَةِ عَلَيْهِمْ نَارٌ مُؤْصَدَةٌ وَإِنْ سُورَةٌ الْبَلَدٌ In Surah Al-Balad, right? The last verse of Surah Al-Balad, it is similar but there is a slight changing of the wording عَلَيْهِمْ نَارٌ مُؤْصَدَةٌ right? Allah Azza wa Jalla again refers to the fire as being enclosed upon those people. So Ibn Kathir Taala says that we mentioned its tafsir already in Surah Al-Balad, but what it means is that it will seal them, and they will have no escape from it, and they will find no exit from it. Abu Imran Al-Jawni Taala, who was from the students of the Tabi'een, from the students of the companions rather, from the Tabi'een himself, he said that on the day of, of Qiyamah, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, the day of judgment, Allah Azza wa Jal will take every evil doer, and everyone who others feared from their evil and harm. And Allah will throw them, Allah will chain them in iron, and then he will throw them into the fire of hell. And then he will seal the fire upon them. Uh, the fire of hell, how fire will be sealed upon them. He said, so by Allah, they will have no footing upon which their feet can rest. Meaning the fire will be beneath them. They will have no solid ground, no footing that their fire will be able to stand upon. Nor will they have any sight that they can see the sky above them, meaning that there will be no space, there will be no clear, clear, clear area that they can see above them into the sky, it will be fire above them. And nor by Allah will their eyes be allowed to close for a single moment of rest or sleep. And nor by Allah will they be allowed to drink anything which is cool and which quenches the thirst. And this is mentioned, his statement in Tafsir of Ibn Abi Hatim, rahimahullah. So the fire he's saying will surround them. Beneath them, there will be nothing except fire. Above them will be nothing except fire. Around them will be nothing except fire. They will be punished from the fire and their food and their drink and their clothing and everything else will be from the fire. May Allah Azza wa Jal save us all from that. And this, 
Allah Azza wa in the Quran, when He speaks about fire and, and, and the how fire, He gives us this imagery which is very vivid. That even if you were to close your eyes, even if you can't, you can't understand and appreciate the, the magnitude of, of, of Jahannam and how fire, but even this description of what we can understand, what we can relate to, makes you so afraid of what it is and what it is and what it contains. And that's why in the hadith of the Prophet when Allah Azza wa sent Jibreel alayhi salam to go and look at the fire before it was surrounded by desires and temptations. Jibreel alayhi salam saw it and he came back and he said, Oh Allah, I fear that no one will enter it. Right? No one will go near this fire. Why would anyone want to go anywhere close and near something as vicious and as, as harmful and as painful and as punishing as that fire of how that Allah Azza wa has prepared for those who disbelieve in him and possibly disobey him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّهَا عَلَيْهِمْ مُؤْصَدَ فِي عَمَدٍ مُمَدَّدَ In the last verse, verse number five, uh, number nine, in outstretched columns or in towering columns, in extended columns. فِي عَمَدٍ مُمَدَّدَ As we said, عَمَد, the majority recited or, or some of the scholars or some of the Qura'a qura, recited as Amad. Ain Fatha Mim Fathadal Amadim Mumadada. Shu'ba, Hamza Al Kisai and Khalaf, they put a Dhamma and the Ain and the Mim. And they recited as Umudim Mumadada. Fi Umudim Mumadada. Al Farah, who was a famous uh, scholar of Arabic grammar and language, he said, both of them are correct. And both of them are plurals of Amud. Amud means pillar. My Amud is a pillar. And then you have its plural, which is Amida. And then you have the plural of the plural, which is Amad or Umud. What is a plural of a plural? In Arabic, they have a concept called Jam'ul Jam'. So in English, we have singular and then you have plural. In Arabic, you have singular, you have dual, and you have plural. Right? But within the context of plural, they have plural of a plural, which basically means what? It means many of that, right? even more than, because a plural can be what? Can be as low as three, right? In Arabic, I'm talking about, because you have singular, you have dual, and then you have plural. So plural can be three, and it can be more than three. Jam or jam therefore means what? It means that there are many, right? It's not on the lower side, it is on the high side. Why does Allah Azza wa say use this word, this plural, the plural of the plural? Why didn't he say fi a'amida? Why did he say fi amad? Because it is referring to who? The people of the fire. And they will be many, many in number. And so Allah Azza wa refers to them, or the, the columns that will be in the fire, and the pillars as also being of many in number. Atiyat al-Awfi rahimahullah said, this amad or this umud, these pillars and these columns will be made of iron. And as Suddi said, they will be made of the fire. And Ibn Abbas said, it is referring to the doors that will be outstretched, that the pillars will be in the gates of the fire. And Qatada said that it means that they will be punished by the columns. They will be punished using the columns of the fire. And this was the opinion that Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala chose. Ibn Abbas said they will be entered into the fire in columns that will be extended and they will be chained or their, their necks will be chained and they will be chained towards to the gates of the fire. 
And Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala said, we used to say that the meaning of this is that they will be punished by the columns of the fire in the fire. And as we said, this is the opinion that uh, Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala chose. Imam al-Shanqiti or Shaykh al-Shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala or rather his student who finished off his famous tafsir al bayan quoting from his Shaykh, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that there are three opinions concerning what it means, uh, what it means, the amad, which is these columns. He said the first of them is that it refers to the gate itself and that the gates will be sealed and locked with these towering columns. You know, sometimes especially in the old days when you, know, you have gates that they used to close and they would put a log, right? Or some type of a, a wood piece between because it seals the door and it stops people from entering. They say that this is one of the meanings of amad, that it will be what closes the gates of the fire and what seals them. It will be these towering columns or these extended columns. He said the second opinion is that the Ahmad refers to columns of fire or columns that people will be placed inside of and they will be punished in the fire of hell within it. Meaning that they will be locked within this tight column or pillar. Right? So just imagine you have a pillar like in this building. It will be hollow from inside. They will be placed within it and they will be punished in the fire using it. Right, and this is what Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala chose. And Imam Al-Tabari in his tafsir after mentioning this, he said, and this is the opinion that I consider to be the strongest, he said rahimahullah ta'ala, that they will be punished using these columns in the fire, but Allah knows best how that will be. And we don't have any authentic narration that has come to us or any proof that has come to us that tells us exactly the manner of that, of that punishment or how it will be used on that day. So all that we say is that this is the verse that Allah has given to us and the information that we have and for the rest we say and Allah knows best right so the first one the first opinion was that it is what is used to seal the gates of the fire the second is that they are columns themselves in which the people of the fire will be punished and the third opinion is that it is columns that will be placed upon the people meaning that they will be chained using them they will be chained and they will be tied up using columns that will be placed upon them so that they will be rigid not chains in the sense that they will be flexible that you can move, but rather they will be columns of, of uh, iron that they will be placed on the feet and the hands of those people so that they become rigid, that they are stuck and that they are unable to move. And that is how they will be pulled and they, they will be uh, punished in the fire. And he said, and Sheikh uh, Shangayti said that these are the three opinions that we have uh, amongst the scholars uh, of, of, of tafsir. And as we said, Imam al-Tabri rahimahullah ta'ala chose, um, chose the one that said that they are actually punished using that in the fire of hell. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Any questions? And with that we come to the end of tafsir of Surah Al-Humazah. Is there, huh? is there an opinion amongst the scholars that says that the fire of hell is not permanent? Uh, I actually knew this question was going to come. Right. I'd anticipated that a question like this would, would come. And the reason why I didn't mention it is because, inshallah, when we come, inshallah, to Surah Al-Naba, which is the first surah in the 30th juz, and Allah Azza wa Jal mentions the verse, لَا بِثِينَ فِيهَا أَحْقَابًا 
they will remain, remain therein ahqaba, which is for a period of time. The scholars of tafsir often mention this issue there. On the tafsir of that verse, period of time, does that mean that they will be there for a limited, number of t- limited amount of time and then either the fire of hell is destroyed or they will be, something, they will be destroyed and the fire remains or whatever it may be, or is it that it will be forever? And so I was going to leave like this discussion there where we'll go into it in, in, inshallah in more detail because that's where in the books of tafsir is, it was usually mentioned. There are like two uh, opinions. The opinion of those scholars that say that the fire is eternal and the people that will reside therein will reside within it for eternity. And they have a number of verses in the Quran that they use from them as the verses in which Allah refers to the Quran and he says, خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا abada." They will remain therein forever. Right? And the hadith that the Prophet mentioned from them is the hadith when Allah Azza wa will, the people of paradise will be in paradise, the people of the fire and the fire, and then death will be sacrificed between them. And it will be said, O people of paradise, reside therein, there is no death for you for eternity. And something similar is said to the people of the fire. And this is uh, the opinion of the majority of Ahlul Sunnah. Uh, and, it's to, and to the extent that there's a number of scholars that claim ijma' on this Ibn Hazm, Rahimahullah, Abu Hatim al Razi. Abu Zur'a al-Razi, many of like, the scholars of, of Ahlul Sunnah or many of the authors who wrote within this, they claim that it is an issue of ijma'. And then you have the other opinion that says, no, that they will remain therein for a certain amount of time and then they will be, you know, they will, they will, uh, they will be destroyed, like they will cease to exist. And so... It is ascribed, this opinion, to Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim, amongst others. And there are narrations, you know, like, they have, like, obviously certain verses and a hadith that they use. And it's said that there are statements from Umar and Ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu anhum, and others from amongst the companions. You know, all of them you can look at and, and, you know, possibly interpret this way or that way. Where it's become famous, I think, especially in our time, is that it's often referred to as being the opinion of Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, and Ibn Qayyim. For my limited research, and you know, I'm not an expert in Ibn Taymiyyah's writings or anything, but for my limited research, Ibn Taymiyyah doesn't hold, like he doesn't support that. He mentions it, but he doesn't, he doesn't come out and say, this is the opinion that I hold. And Ibn Taymiyyah often does that, by the way. Ibn Taymiyyah in his books often mentions varying opinions, Ahlul Sunnah and other than Ahlul Sunnah. He'll mention the opinion of the Jahmiyyah and the Khawarij and the Shia. That's what he does in his books. He mentions their opinions and he goes through them and he, and he discusses them and he uh, analyzes and critiques them. So just because he mentions it doesn't make it an opinion of his and it doesn't seem to be an opinion of his. What is more explicit is Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah. And Ibn Qayyim in some of his works seems to support this opinion and other works he seems not to. Whereas Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah he will mention the opinion like for example uh, Abu al-Hassan al-Ash'ari rahimahullah ta'ala he, he has a statement in which he says and the madhab of Ahlul Sunnah is that the fire, the people of the fire will remain therein for eternity. And maybe Taymiyyah mentions those statements, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't rebuke them, rebuke them or say that they, you know, actually the correct opinion is otherwise and so on. Ibn Qayyim has both opinions that are found in his works. And therefore the debate comes as to, clearly he changed his opinion because he has both opinions, which one came first and which one came second, right? Which one did he have first? And then which one came later on that he kind of settled on and he held, right? And this is something which is common, like Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, in some of his early works, he used to believe that Khadr alayhi salam, the one that's mentioned in Surah Kahf, is still alive. Right? That's like something which he mentions. But then later on, he dismissed this. And he said, no, actually the opinion of the majority of the scholars is that he's not alive. Right? So the, the fact that scholars change opinions is something which is common. 
And, you know, like Ibn al-Qayyim has both opinions. And then clearly the debate is which one did he did he follow. But the opinion of, and inshallah, you know, hopefully when we get to that verse, we can go into this in, in slightly more detail. But the position generally that I, that I think is the strongest and Allah knows best and the opinion of the majority of the scholars is that they will remain therein forever. And Allah knows best. When you read um, Ayah 5, I thought I might, and you mentioned that it was um, the meaning of crushing fire. Fire doesn't usually crush, it has no element of pressure. But later on in the description, it has a power which exerts that type of pressure because it's yeah. contained and it's been tolerant. So doesn't that mean that Hukamah is actually a description of fire rather than its name? Because it's describing So all names, so the, if the question is, uh, does the name Al-Hutama also contain a description? Yes, all of the names of the fire, even Nar, even Jahannam, even Jahim, all of them contain within them a description as well. And that's the beauty of the Arabic language. It's not just a name without any meaning. Right? In English, we often have names, but we don't really know what their root word is and what they often refer to. And We don't really have that kind of... Arabic, no. Arabic is so eloquent that each name will have an added meaning to it. And that's why it's given multiple names, to give you multiple facets of that meaning and multiple dimensions of what it is. And so yes, Al-Hutama is a name, but it is also a description. So it is both. And Allah knows best. Okay, inshallah. Oh, we have this one. We have the... Could you please suggest a tafsir school where one can learn in-depth tafsir of Al-Quran alongside hadith? Like this one with certificate? I don't, I, I, mean, I don't know where you are, so it's a very difficult answer, question for me to answer. I don't really know of anything. For those of you that are in like um, Canada or Pakistan and so on, like Al-Huda Institute is very good. Dr. Farad Hashim, she has like one in Toronto and I think one in Pakistan. Uh, is it in London as well? Yeah, so I think they're good. They don't do in-depth, from what I know anyway. It's more like translation of the Quran meanings and so on rather than in-depth tafsir. But it's still a very good resource. <laughs> When a scholar claims an ijma' does it not include does does it only include contemporary scholars to him or does it include previous generations too? Ijma' generally means that the scholars have agreed upon this, right? There's an issue that the scholars uh, have agreed on from generation to generation because once you have ijma', it is ijma' for not just that generation but generations which follow as well. Okay, so Jazakumullah khair inshaAllah till next week. Barakallah fikum Sa'ibin Muhammad wa alayhi wa sahbihi ajma'in.